Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. If you grew up in a home uh, like me, then... Um, you probably can remember playing, it really wasn't a game, but call it the game, playing the I love you more game. And uh, it would go something like this in our home. I can remember very early on, um, I, still to this day, my mom does this. I'll say, all right, mom, I love you. And uh, you know, I'll be leaving and I'll say, I love you, mom. And she always responds which, with, with uh, I love you more. And I look at her and I go, no, I love you more. And she goes, no, I love you more. And it kind of goes back and forth. And I remember when I was a kid, she would, you know, she would always say, well, I love you much more. Well, I love you much, much more. Well, I love you much, much, much more. You know? And it would just kind of go back and forth until finally mom would always end the battle uh, by saying, you just wait until you have kids. Then you will know that I love you more. And I'm always like, you just wait till you have a mom? You know, she always got me with that one. And I love you more. You probably played that with somebody. You've probably seen the shirts of people saying, I love you this much. Jesus loves you this much. I love you more. I want to ask you a question this morning. And that question is this. Does your life say, I love you more? Or does your life say, I love me more? My mom and I would do it, I love you more, towards each other. But I want to ask you this today. I don't want you to talk, think about your family and, and, well, I love them more. I love, no, I want, you, I want you to think about you and everyday life. Do you love you more, as in yourself more, or do you love others more? Our study in 1 Corinthians, of course, we've been going through this. We understand Paul is the writer of the book of 1 Corinthians. The book of 1 Corinthians really was written to the believers at Corinth. And you can go and research Paul helping begin the church and what God did in, in Corinth in Acts 18 and 19. You can read all about it, Corinth and Ephesus and all of these great cities that Paul started a church in. Of course, if you're not a Bible student, or maybe it's your first time in church in a while or whatever, you might think, well, who is Paul? Paul was once one of the greatest persecutors of Christianity. He, he didn't believe in God, he, or he didn't believe in Jesus. He believed in God, the God of the Jews, but he was a, a Pharisee, and he was uh, probably one of the most um, uh, staunch Pharisees, and he persecuted in the name of the Pharisees and in the name of, of the God of the Jews, thinking that Jesus was something someone to persecute against. And you'll recall Acts chapter number nine. Acts chapter nine records for us when Paul realized that Jesus was and is in fact the son of God and he is the Messiah and he was sent to save the world. And so Paul put his faith and his trust in Jesus Christ and went from being a great persecutor of believers to being a great proponent for believers. Man, one who 
then became a preacher of the gospel and would travel around and help start dozens and dozens and dozens of churches and lead hundreds upon thousands of people to Jesus Christ. And many of the New Testament books that we hold in our hand are in fact letters that Paul wrote to believers at Galatia or Ephesus or Philippi or uh, to his friend Philemon or, or to his young apprentice, this young preacher boy, Timothy, or young Titus that was raised under the, the teaching and preaching of Paul. Man, God used Paul in an incredible way. One of the places that God used Paul in was the town of Corinth. Now, I won't take a lot of time this morning to recap Corinth, just to say Corinth was second only to Rome during this time. Corinth was the place to be. It had actually the largest shopping mall, the largest marketplace in the known world. Many people wanted to get to Corinth because you could go from ruin to riches in one generation. It was, uh, it was a strategic place. It had a great military support. It had great agriculture. It had great uh, 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 commerce. I mean, it was just the place to be. However, Corinth also had some great flaws because Corinth was a sinful city. It was a vile city. Corinth was so bad, as a matter of fact, and we've heard this already, that you wanted to degrade somebody. You could, you know, like nowadays, you know, kids might call somebody, well, you're, uh, pardon me, someone might say, well, you're, you're stupid, you know, well, you're, and they might say something. Now, kids don't, um, don't say that, but uh, they might say something like that. Back then, you didn't say that. You would say, now, you're Corinthian. You're just like a Corinthian. It was degrading. It was, it was something saying, hey, you're worse than the worst. And yet God used Paul to start an incredible church here. And you go research. I mean, it's, it's incredible what God did. I mean, the Bible actually records it, and it says that not a few called upon Christ because of Paul's ministry in Corinth. But what we discovered last week, and we've been discovering it through our series, is that Paul, he left. For some years, he was gone, and a group of people came to him, and they began telling him, Paul, there's some struggles going on in Corinth at the church. And Paul, you need to write to the church and address these situations. And so from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 all the way to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul addresses issues that he had heard about within the church. He addresses the factionalism, right? Uh, one says, says, I'm of Paul. The other says, I'm of Apollos. Well, and one says, I'm of Peter. Hey, aren't we all the same in Christ? Hey, the ground is level at the cross. And, and Paul began to write to them many things that we've gone through. And if you want to know what they are, just go back and listen to the messages because I'm not going to repeat them all right now because then we'll be here for like six hours. There wasn't one amen there. I'm Okay. <laughs> So the first six chapters, Paul is, is kind of highlighting everything that he had heard from the group that was sent to him, uh, the delegation that was given to him. He had heard about these problems, so he wrote to them specifically about those. From chapter seven all the way through pretty much the end of the book, Paul writes about questions that they had. It's interesting because it's questions that we have. You know, questions like, hey, Paul, what about end times? Hey, hey, Paul, what about the church and how we function together? Hey, Paul, what, what is the difference in spiritual gifts? The question we answered last week, the very first question that Paul dealt with was the question, hey, Paul, what does God say about a relationship between a man and a woman? What's God say about marriage and singleness and widowhood? God, Paul, what does God say about this? And last week we learned and we were in that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter number seven that Paul basically wrote to them and, and said, hey, no matter what stage of life you're in, serve God 
better because you're in that stage. Well, what's that mean? If you're married, be a better servant of God because you're married. Apply his wisdom and, uh, to your marriage, fight for your marriage, be faithful to your marriage, but no matter what, be a better servant to God because you're married. Well, what about me? I'm, I'm single. If you're single, be a better servant of God because you're single. Don't allow your emotions to tell you that you're missing out on something. Don't always be focused on your situation and what you do or do not have. No, be a better servant of God because you're single. And I love kind of the thrust last week was wherever you're at in whatever stage of life you're in, live an undistracted life of service for God. Saying, God, I love you more than anything in this world. God, you have the throne of my life. First question. Hey, Paul. What do we do about marriage? What's God say about that and singleness and widowhood? And today, we're going to watch as Paul, he answers a question about what we're going to call today the gray areas of the Christian life. The gray areas of the Christian life. But before we define what all of that is, I'm just going to get right to the point this morning and say that every day we should be living a life that says, I love others more than I love myself. I love you more than I love me. I love you more than I love me. That's what Paul is going to get at. That's the thrust of the message today. And so let's take our Bibles, let's read our passage this morning, and let's stand together. First Corinthians chapter 8, give you a moment to stretch before I preach for six hours. Still no aim. Okay, good, there was one sarcastic people, but that's all right. First Corinthians chapter eight. We're going to read this short chapter, just 13 verses. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, all right, Paul, you, you wrote me a question asking me about things offered to idols. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and there, that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be God's many and Lord's many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we are in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. How be it? How be it? There is not in every man that knowledge. For some, with conscious of the idol unto this hour, eat it as a thing offered unto an idol. And their conscience being weak is, is defiled. But meat commendeth us not to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. But take heed. Take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened? 
to eat those things which are offered to idols. And though thy knowledge shall, uh, and though, and excuse me, and through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. I'm going to ask you a question today, and the question again is, who do you love more? Do you love you more, or do you love others more? That's what we're going to, it's all going to boil down to that one thought this morning, and I think it'll be a help to us. So let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute and in the quietness of your own heart, would you just ask God to speak to you? God, please speak to me today. And then make a commitment. God, if you speak to me, I'll respond to you. Dear Lord, we want to come before you today and we want to thank you for just your love. Thank you for your care. Thank you for the music this morning, just drawing us into to how faithful you are and to how you complete our life. Father, I pray that you'd help us today to listen and to hear from you and to be challenged by your word. And God, I pray that you would help us to respond today as you speak to us. Again, if there's someone here that doesn't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that you'd help them today to trust you as Savior. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. <clears throat> as we come to the passage this morning, um, uh, I'm going to say this, that we're, we've got to we've a, a, a kind of a, lay some groundwork to understand what Paul is talking about. Okay, and here's why. Has anybody here seen meat offered to an idol anywhere lately in Moses Lake? No. Now, if I asked you, has anybody been to maybe to a mission field and seen this? Then yes, you may have seen this, but we don't have meat offered to idols. So someone, we honestly, someone could come to 1 Corinthians 8. We could look at a passage like this and we could say, meh, that was only that day and age. It was only for them. It's not for us. But if we did that, we'd be wrong because the Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That means we can profit from it. So it may be a different area in our life than meat and idols, but it's about, and this, this, this is the topic today, it's about the gray areas of life. Things that are not stated in the Bible may be exactly how we would like to have them stated. We like things said in such a way, and if you're me, trust me, this message is for me because I am a black and white type of person. It's right or it's wrong, that's me. I mean, that, that's just it. You can ask my wife all the time. I'm like, no, that's no, no. That is, this, is, this is the way it is, and it's either right or it's wrong. This message is for me. Why? Because not everything is black or white. We need to recognize that there are things in our lifetime and in our culture, as there have been in every lifetime and in every culture, that are gray areas. They're not clearly stated in the Bible as right, and they're not clearly stated as the Bible is as wrong. So there has to be a way to make a decision about the gray areas of life. 
Now, we know that there are some things that are clearly right, and there are some things that are clearly wrong. We don't have really a problem with those things, do we? I mean, we know the Bible says, don't kill, steal, cheat, commit adultery, lie, and on and on and on. There are things in the scripture that are addressed. The Bible says to be faithful to assemble together. The word of God encourages us to be faithful and build a relationship with God. What is that? Those are things that God speaks specifically on. There are lists in the Old Testament and New Testament of good things and bad things and things to stay away from and things to be involved in. But in the middle of those goods and bads, there are things that we call the gray area. Things where in every year, in every society, in every culture, and in every environment, there has to be a decision made that may be only for that time and that place. You say, Pastor, give us an example. Okay. Thanks for asking. I'm thinking of an example right now, right now that we're facing in our culture. And I'm about to tread on something. (laughs) Pastor, I should not get the vaccine. Pastor, I should get the vaccine. Pastor, I shouldn't wear a mask. Pastor, I should wear a mask. Pastor, we should... You see where I'm going? Let me ask you, does the, Bible, does the Bible say, in the Bible, does it say, thou shalt not get a vaccine? Does the Bible say, thou shalt get a vaccine? Does the Bible say, thou shalt not wear a mask? Does the Bible say, thou shalt wear a mask? Some of you are like, pastor, come on, don't go there. We hear it all week on the news. Quit watching the news. There's my answer for that. Anyway, What are those areas? Those are gray areas in the Christian life that maybe the Bible speaks wisdom toward, but it doesn't speak specifically to. Pastor, I don't believe you should ever, 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 ever go to the movies. Pastor, you can go to the movies. It's just the movie theater. You rent movies, don't you? Pastor, I think that we should never sing a song in church that was written by somebody that we don't know personally. First of all, that eliminates like 99% of the songs we sing. Secondly, someone might say, well, pastor, I think we should only sing songs that were written within the last year. You say, pastor, are these really things that come up? Yes. Pastor, I believe the Bible says it's, this is going to be crazy for some of you. I believe the Bible says it's wrong for women to wear pants. 100%. 100% the Bible's against that. Uh, Pastor, I believe the Bible doesn't speak to that area. And so I think that women can wear pants. Some of you are like, seriously, this is, these are discussions that come up. You know, it was in the 70s and my dad jokes about it. Uh, he joked about it often. He'd say, why are rim glasses? Preachers would get up and they would get up and be like, you shouldn't wear that hippie dress, those wire rim glasses, those bell bottoms. Bless God, it's in the scripture, you know? And my dad would be like, I don't see that in here. Well, what are some of these areas? You say, pastor, some of that is silly. What are they? They're gray areas. They're gray areas. In Corinth, for their time, one of the gray areas was meat 
offered to idols. As a matter of fact, this isn't the only time that Paul had to deal with this. Go read Romans 14. Paul dealt with meat offered to idols because they were, the Romans, the church plants that are in Rome, they were dealing at this from another angle. And so Paul writes today about this area of, of, of uh, meat and this area of gray idols. Well, why was this a uh, gray idols? <laughs> this gray area of idols. Why was it such a gray area? Well, in their time, think about this, and in their place, Eating meat or not eating meat, eating meat that was offered to idols or not eating meat that offered to idols, that was the gray area. What's the context? Corinth, part of the Greek culture, part of the Roman Empire. And so we know they literally worship many gods. They were what we would call polytheistic. They mean, it means they, they worship multiple gods. Really, Corinth and in Greek mythology, and many of you know this, you've uh, maybe seen movies or you've done studies or you've read books and you know these things to be true. Every single thing that the Greeks did, they had a God involved. Everything. Amusement, entertainment, government, feast, sporting events, social events, family events. Everything had some sort of God that was involved. And if you've been in our series, then you'll recall that we've noted the many gods that were set up in Corinth. Paul addresses it in Acts 17 in Athens when he stands before them and says, I see all of the gods that you have here, and I see this one idol on the end that says to the unknown God. That's who I'm going to speak about because you don't know the real God. Well, because of this, offering meats to gods, false gods, was completely commonplace. And here's what, here's what was going on. Some Christians, they got saved, trusted Jesus, and they were fine with eating the meat that had been offered to idols. Others of them were not fine with it, and it was causing division. Here's why. When a sacrifice, when a meat offering was given to, uh, uh, um, to that God, it would be divided into three portions, okay? That meat would be divided into three portions. Part one was burned on the altar that went up to their, their false god. Part two, the priest would take if they needed it, which often they didn't because the priests, um, that's a whole nother story, but the priests were very crooked and they just, they had a lot, so they over, overflowed with food. That second part was given to the priest. If he wanted it, he kept it. If he didn't, he would take it and he would sell it to the butcher shops to make a little profit on the side. The third part, the person who offered it would take the third part home and eat it. So three parts. One was burned. The second, either eaten by the priest or sold to the marketplace, which more often was sold to the marketplace. And the third part, you could eat at someone's house. So let's do this. Let's, let's get some help this morning to understand a couple of things. Um, Noah, you're sitting there. You're right there. Come here real quick. Noah, Leo, could you put your Bible down and come up here real fast? Okay. You guys just stand over here. I'm, I'm not going to jump on anybody. I'm not going to tackle anybody. That's not the illustration today, although I know you were excited. You're ready to tackle somebody. Okay. Leo might tackle Noah. Don't hurt him. He's fragile. <laughs> okay. I, I, want us to, I want us to catch this from, from uh, the angle, the context, and then we're just going to dive right into some application and we'll, we'll be done. So, Take, for instance, two people. These, both of these men are from Corinth, okay? One of them, one of them grew up around Corinth 
He was, he was involved in the, the false gods and all that type of stuff, but his family just, they just weren't fully engaged, okay? He still, he still knew about the temple. He still knew about all the false worship. He, he, he even had gods in his home that he worshiped, but he really didn't worship them. It was just kind of like a, um, a lucky charm, okay? That's kind of what it was for him, okay? But this fella, he grew up entrenched in Corinth, Greek mythology, and the Roman Empire worship. To the point that for him, the Roman emperor was the chief god, and, and he had a god for, for his music, and he had a god for his athletics, and he had a god that he worshiped in the family, and he had shrines not only in his house, but he had them in his room, and it, it wasn't a lucky trinket to him. No, for him, it was every area of life. Enter Paul. Paul comes in. Everybody's gathered at the marketplace. Paul gets up and preach, preaches who Jesus is. And he says, wow, that, that makes sense. I, I always knew that all of these things weren't real. And he receives Christ. I accept Christ. I, I put my faith in him. This fella, he hears all of it. And he goes, wow. That sounds like the God that I've been searching for. That sounds like the one, these other gods, they don't meet my need, but that God, he sounds like he meets every need. And, and so he places his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Are you following me? Two different situations, two different backgrounds. They're both now saved. Okay. Now they both begin worshiping with Paul. They begin worshiping with that early church. They both trusted Christ. They both know what's going on. But one day, this fella, he's walking in the marketplace. He's going to go buy some meat. He's got some friends coming over, so he's going to go buy meat. So he goes and he buys meat. He takes it home. His wife prepares it. Well, they want to have this fellow over because they're new friends. They, they both met Jesus on the same week and they're got all, man, we all have Christ, we have Christ in our life and we're growing together. And so this fellow comes over to this fellow's house. But what we don't know is that this fellow actually saw that fellow buy meat in the marketplace. He saw him buy it from that meat stand. Now, are you, are you still with me? Now, this fellow, he doesn't care where that meat came from. But this fella, he knows that that butcher shop buys meat off of the priests that he used to offer meat to. Are you following it? So now they sit down at dinner. And this fella's like, hey, here's your steak. And this fella goes, I'm sorry, I can't eat that. Well, why can't you eat it? Well, because I know where you bought it from. He says, well, what do you mean? Yeah, I bought it from, you know, Joe's Butcher. Joe isn't in it. Levi's Butcher. That's Levi. No. Maximus's Butcher. <laughs> He's like, I bought it from, I know, who cares? And he says, no, 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 no. That guy buys his meat from the priest. This meat has been offered to a false god. I can't eat it. And he's like, what are you talking about? 
That, that's foolish. It's, there, there, there is only one God. All that stuff that we used to be involved in, it's nothing. It's meaningless. There are not multiple gods. He says, but it was offered to the false gods. He says, but there are no false gods. He, do you get what's going on? Now there's a heated discussion. But it comes to the point where this fella gets up from the table and says, I can't eat here. You eat meat that's offered to idols. It comes to that and he leaves frustrated. Or he says to his conscience, just eat it. It'll be okay. It's, it's just, just, it's fine. Just, it's fine. And he, with a, if I can say it this way, he with a weaker conscience, because of his background, are you following it? Because of his background, his conscience is weak towards those things. He knows, he knows that there's only one God, but because of his background and because of being so entrenched in that culture, to him, it's like, no, I, he, he just has not grown to that spot yet to say there are no gods, meat is meat, who cares? So he has one of two choices. A, I get up frustrated and leave, or B, I just eat this meat. He has one of two choices. I force him to eat this meat that he doesn't want to eat, or I just pull that meat aside and figure out something else to give him to eat, and I don't make a big deal of it. Do you see the choices that they both have to make? Now, who's right and who's wrong? Oh, well, this guy, we would all say, oh, well, this guy's right because he knows. Oh, no, no, no. Well, this guy's right because he also has a knowledge that says my conscience can't go down that road. Are you following what I'm saying this morning? So because of that, the meat area was a gray area. Now, there were three approaches. You guys can sit down. Thank you. Give them a hand. Good job. You guys are awesome. Noah just said, thanks for ruining my dinner plans. <laughs> Noah, why? There's three approaches to there, there, there's three approaches to gray areas. Well, what are those three approaches? Okay. The first is legalism. Legalism, legalism is the approach, it's the extreme that just makes lists and rules, okay? Legalism is just the people that say, do this, don't do this. And the truth is, there are people who really love that. There are people who operate more comfortably inside of what we would call the institutional Christianity, where somebody has to literally give you a list of do's and don'ts, of rules and regulations that they can conform to, they, they never, uh, oftentimes people who approach uh, gray areas with a legalistic spirit, they never really internalize their Christian life. They never really know what it means to walk in the spirit. They're actually really scared of, uh, of people talking about walking in the spirit. And even though they may not, might not admit it, it's just something that kind of frightens them because it's, it, it's not fully known. What are they doing? They're living in legalism. They want somebody to say, do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. And they, what they do is they can conform to a little set of rules and then, listen, they convince themselves that their conformity is equivalent to spirituality. Does that, does that make sense? 
people, somebody who convinces themselves that if I'm obeying the rules and regulations, I'm spiritual. My, my Christianity fits inside this box. And, and we all know that there's a box of Christianity I have to fit in. And so I make sure that I fit inside of the box. <clears throat> now, I hate to say it, but there's churches like this. There's churches like that where there aren't really any principles about how to live the Christian life. They just give you a list of do's and don'ts. And there are people who conform to that mentality because it's so easy, as one man said, to quantify spirituality by what you do or what you don't do. I'm more spiritual than you because I don't X, Y, Z. I'm more spiritual than you because I do X, Y, Z. And there's this debate about who's more spiritual. If you don't believe me, come up to me later. I'll show you clips of preachers preaching on these things and you will go, that's absurd. Exactly. Legalism, wrong approach. There's another wrong approach, the approach of liberty. Now you say, pastor, didn't the Bible speak to our liberty? Yes. But <clears throat> the opposing end of legalism is full out liberty. It's the people who say, well, here's all the stuff that I couldn't do or that I could do in that group but since I'm free in Christ, I can do everything. It isn't forbidden anyway. I mean, it's, it's, it's okay, it's fine. And so I will just do every bit of it. I'm not gonna worry about anything. I'm free in Christ. Everything is permitted. There are no considerations other than my personal liberty and my freedom in Christ. I am free to do what I want, when I want, where I want, how I want. I'm saved, I'm forgiven. It's all under the blood. Move on, live life, have fun. Everything's okay. Don't ever consider anybody else. But the fact that you can't judge someone's spirituality by what people do or don't do, that is still true. Just because a person thinks they're free in Christ and can do everything doesn't make them spiritual. And just because a person limits their freedom in Christ by legalize, going a legalist, legalistic mind, mind <laughs> I can't speak. A legalistic mindset, they, they think, well, I'm, I'm going to set myself bounds and rules. That doesn't define spirituality. Back in the 60s and 70s, there was one guy that said this. He said, there's a city that has 2 million inhabitants. None of them smoke. None of them drink. None of them attend movies. None of them ever go to dances. None of them ever play cards. 60s and 70s is what they wrestled with. But not one of them, however, has a bit of spiritual life. What was he talking about? At the time, he was speaking of the Greenwood Hill Cemetery in New York. They, what they did or didn't do had absolutely no relationship to anything. Why? They were dead. It didn't mean anything. The fact is that refraining from doing things is not spirituality and participating in everything is not spirituality. No, walking, listen, walking in love and walking in the spirit is spirituality. Legalism, liberty, wrong approach. What's the right approach? Love, the approach of love. 
This is where Paul comes into 1 Corinthians chapter number eight. And Paul says, listen, there is one great principle that should limit your legalism. There is one great principle that should limit your liberty. And that is the principle of love. You can't say because it's forbidden. It isn't forbidden. I can do this or not do this. You can't say because it is forbidden. I shouldn't do this or shouldn't do this. No, there's a higher consideration than that. And what is it? It's the consideration of love. Love, listen, love sets a limit on your liberty and your legalism. Love limits liberty and love limits legalism. All right, pastor, we get it. Two guys. One says you can, one says you can't. That's a gray area. We get it. There's three ways to approach it. Legalism, liberty, and love. Pastor, how do we approach it in love? That's the message I want to give you today. We'll do it very quickly in like an hour. Still not an amen. I'm just, I'm just trying to get at least one that wants me to preach long today. Number one, number one is this. How do we live with the approach to love? Number one is no, we have to understand that knowledge, knowledge without love is empty. Knowledge without love is empty. Verse number one. Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know Gnosis, to know in your spirit, to deeply know, to have a deep-rooted understanding. We know that we have all knowledge. Stop there. What's, what's Paul saying? Paul says, hey, we all know everything there is to know about this idea of meats being offered to idols. Later, Paul would say, we all know that idols are nothing. Idols are, they're nothing. It is literally a trinket. <clears throat> but here's why Paul wrote this. This guy, and I, I wish we had time. I, I should, some, one of these days, we are literally just gonna do like one verse at a time. And everybody's gonna be like, we were in that series for seven years. But then we'll like, I won't preach for an hour and 10 minutes every week because they're trying to cover one chapter. <clears throat> This guy over here, he was saying, and, and you go do the research on all of it, he was, going, he was saying, I know I'm right that I can eat meat that's offered to idols, and I don't care what anybody says, I know idols are nothing. You know what Paul is doing in this passage? He's writing affirming the knowledge. Yes, yeah, yeah, we all know that. Later, he says, we all know it's nothing. But what that fellow's approach was is I know everything there is to know about this. Everything there is to know. Notice verse number two. <clears throat> verse number two. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. <laughs> You know, Paul is saying to them, hey, you think you have all knowledge in that area, but you are not God. You don't know everything. If you think you know everything, you know nothing. Isn't it interesting that we, ugh, I joke with a pastor, many of you know Pastor Skelly. We joke about this all the time when we're, when we're talking about stuff. We always think that we have a corner on God. Like every one of us have this. Well, no, I know that area. I mean, I'm right in it. And everybody, everybody else is wrong. You know, they're all the idiots. I'm the right one. 
And we all think there's a corner on God. It was, it was the same thing back then. They thought they had a corner on God. And so what is Paul saying to them? Well, Paul is saying, we know that idols aren't real. Paul preached on this. Acts 19, Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. Paul knew what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 115, 3 through 8. Our God is in heavens, uh, the, in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold. Uh, they're the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have, but they see not. Ears, but they hear not. Noses, but they smell not. They have hands, they handle not. Feet they have, but they walk not. Neither speak they with their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. Hey, Paul is saying, I get it. Idols are not real. You have that knowledge. How be it, verse seven. How be it there is not in every man that knowledge. Hey, there are some people who have not matured to the place where they realize that all of it is a farce, that all of it is a lie. Because there are some that they have a conscience of the idol. They have a, they have a mindset that says the idol is real unto this hour. Hey, there are some people that they have not grown to this spot yet. And if they eat something that's offered to an idol, you know what? Their conscience, because it's weak, it's defiled. It's defiled. It can be, it can be ruined. It can be weakened. It can be something that is hurt because they ate. Okay, Paul, so then what do we do? You got to know that knowledge puffeth up. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Hey, knowledge without love is empty. Knowledge is insufficient in and of itself. It is essential, but it's not sufficient. No, not, listen, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. What could this fellow do? This fellow could say in his mind, I know that this meat is fine. I know that the idols are nothing. But because I love him, I'll put that meat to the side and I'll have a devil steak tomorrow. What is he gonna do? He's, listen, oh, it's so beautiful. He's gonna gain a friend in the Lord. Eventually, listen, eventually as this man walks with God, do you know where he's going to stand eventually? He's going to stand right here. But what is going to get him to this point is not just this fellow's knowledge. No, it's this fellow's knowledge combined with love that I'm going to help you grow to that point. Does that make sense? Knowledge without love is empty. Knowledge stops at me. Love stops at you. All right, pastor, I want to live my life with the approach of love. What do I do? Number one, know that knowledge without love is empty. Number two, understand that love, what it does, it considers others. Brian, I think these batteries are going. Can you grab me two more? Knowledge or love considers others. I love what it says there in verse number one. It says, knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. Charity edifieth. 
the word edify in this passage. It means to build up or to construct. Can you hear me now? Edify, it means to build up or to construct. Okay, listen, knowledge only considers me. Love considers how can I use my knowledge to build up somebody else. Knowledge says I can eat, I can eat, you can eat, everyone can eat, who cares, just eat it. Love says, no, I need to think about how it affects them. Knowledge says an idol is nothing, let's eat. Love says, wait, I choose not to eat, even though I can, because it could hurt him. What does it do? It considers others. And then God says this through Paul. If any man love God, the same is known of him. Hey, if you are really loving God in your decisions, you're gonna be known as that fellow that loves It's going to be known of you. God's love is going to be known in your life. And that's going to be the identifying characteristic. And don't we all, listen, this week, don't we all want somebody to come up to us and say, there's something different about you. I've been been in, in church my entire life. I've known the Lord for almost 20 years now, but I've had, I've had it my entire life. I can count on one hand the time that people have come up to me and said, there's something different about you. You say, well, pastor, then maybe you should live different. I know, I know. Anyway, yesterday, yesterday we were sitting at a restaurant and we had a friend come in town um, that was, uh, those of you that were here the very first year, you might remember Rachel White. She uh, was a secretary here that first summer in between college. And there's only like six people in here that would remember Rachel. But Rachel came by yesterday. Miss Honeycutt, you remember Rachel. Uh, Rachel came by yesterday. We're sitting there and we're just eating and talking. And after a little bit, a lady came up and she said, excuse me. She said, I'm, I'm totally sorry to interrupt your lunch. And, you know, we all just kind of look at her and she said, but I just was sitting over there and I just wanted to tell you guys, there's just some sort of a light in your eyes over here. She said, I don't know if it's God. I don't know what it is, but it's just really cool. Just wanted to tell you. And I was sitting there like, well, she couldn't even see my eyes, so I know she wasn't talking about me. <laughs> but I'm sitting there thinking, I really am. I, I thought she probably was watching Hannah and Rachel talk and just laugh and watching the kids laugh because really I, I had not been there for but maybe 15 minutes when she walked up and said that. Man, we all want that. Do you know what it takes to have people from the outside looking in to say to you and me, hey, there's something different? Love. Why? Love builds. Love builds edifies. One man said it this way, your liberty is conditioned by your love. Before you exercise liberty in an area, you have got to think about how it affects somebody else. And the Bible talks so much about this. Hebrews 10, 24, let us consider one another and provoke unto love and good works. Hey, I love you, so I'm going to take heed. Verse 9, lest by any means of this liberty of yours, you know, of mine become a stumbling block unto those that are weak. Hey, since I love you, I'm going to, I'm going to take here. I'm going to put myself in check. Even though I know it's not a big deal, you've told me it's a big deal to you. And so you know what? I will defer. Why? Because love considers others. Look at the love that Paul had. He said, if meat make my brother to offend, I'll eat no meat. Till the day I, I'm just not going to eat meat. 
ever. Why? Now, was Paul making a, a, a statement saying, I'm, I'm going vegetarian, you know? No. Paul was saying, if I know somebody and I know that eating meat offends them, I'm never going to eat meat around them. Why? Because I have love that considers them. Number two. Number three, love looks to Christ. Love looks to Christ. Notice verse number 12, 11 and 12. And through thy knowledge shall thy weaker brother perish for whom Christ died. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, hey, you also sin against Christ. Here's the thought. How should you treat somebody that Jesus died to save? That's a convicting thought, isn't it? How should you treat somebody that Jesus died to save? I heard an illustration this week of a man sharing from years and years ago. One man used to tell his son about a guy who fell off of a seven-story building and a man caught him on the ground. But the man who caught him was killed because of the, that man literally crushing him. However, the father of the man who caught the falling man, he spent the rest of his life giving money and meeting needs of the man that was caught. And his reason was, he said this, that he did it simply because if that man meant enough for my son to give his life to save him, then I feel that I ought to honor my son's love by giving that man anything I can. But you know, that's the mentality that we should have about other Christians. Hey, that person, listen, I'm gonna get off on a little rabbit trail. That person that you can't forgive because of what they said five years ago or eight years ago or whatever, that person, Jesus died for them just like he died for you. That person that you have a, you have a struggle with, that and maybe it's a family member or a friend or maybe it's your spouse and there's just at odds and you just, man, I just can't forgive you for that. I can't get over it. You know what? Jesus died for their sin just like he died for your sin, but my sin's not as great as his or her or them or it or whatever the case might be. No, no, no. Ground is level at the cross, my friend. Love says Jesus died for you just like he died for me. And so because of love, I will consider how I'm making you feel. I will consider how I, I, I encourage you. I will take a moment and build up. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians, love of Christ should constrain us because we thus judge that if he died for all, or excuse me, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, that he died for all, that they which live, listen, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him. My life is for him. Lastly, how do we live by love? Love gives selflessly. Love gives selflessly. Verse 13, wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world stands, lest I make my brother to offend. You know, Paul is saying, Paul is saying, I'm going to operate completely by love. The principle is love. How do, how does, how do my choices affect people? I'm going to defer for what is best for those around me. It should not be, well, I just don't care. He's weak. He doesn't understand. He has his own problems. I've got my problems. Who cares? That's not love. Well, why should I consider him? Why should I give selflessly? Because it's what Jesus did. Hey, if there's any uh, consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love and the fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord and of one mind. Listen, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the mind also of the things of others. Verse number five, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You go to Philippians chapter two, and you know what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi? Hey, operate out of love. Love is the key. All right, you can close your Bible. I don't normally do this. I'm just gonna read to you. I'm gonna read my, my closing thoughts and we'll be done. So what can we learn from this passage? What can we be challenged with today? What could we walk away with for this week? I think it comes down to this. In life, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there are always going to be gray areas. There are going to be areas of preference, areas that are not directly stated in the word of God, areas where this Christian sees it one way and that Christian sees it another way. So what do we do? There has to be some long-range, timeless principle or set of guidelines that transcends context and culture. There has to be something to help determine your behavior and my behavior regardless of the gray areas of life. There is love. So when it comes to our decisions in the Christian life, we can act upon our knowledge alone or we can act upon love coupled with knowledge. In love, we can consider others. In love, we can look to Christ. In love, we can live selflessly. Here's how Paul wrote it in Romans 14, 19. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. So what's the decision we can make? It's on the the screen. The decision is this. This week, make the decision. I'm going to determine to love others over me. Hey, if you know that something you do is offensive to somebody and it's, it's a gray area, don't do it around them. It's okay. But, but I, can eat, I can eat this meat. No, no, it's okay. Consider love. What am I doing? I'm saying, I love you more than I love me. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.